happening podcast guests listeners and anybody who tunes into the matt baxter show you guessed it it's your boy matt baxter here recording with scott d'amico scott d'amico brings some fire on this episode we're talking about leadership culture we're talking about leadership coaching we're talking about leadership training we're talking about just a bunch a bunch a bunch of awesome stuff and one of the fun things for me is that yes i i get a chance and I get the honor to talk to a wild, uh, a wide range, excuse me, of executive coaches, executive leaders. But one of the cool things is uh, with, with Scott's role, he directly works with organizations on their talent strategies. And so there's a lot of overlap between uh, what I do at Wedge and what he's coming in and helping coach and, and, and advise and, and support organizations that are building out their tra- talent strategy and their function as well, too. So, Scott, you're an awesome man. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. And I, I'm just so very fired up for people to get a chance to listen uh, and tune in and, and learn um, from you. And on top of that, uh, also, reach out to you about your business and not just as a cheap plug, but truly in the fact that talent is a remarkably important and difficult topic right now as the world's evolving. And yet you're at the forefront of helping people lead those strategies, not just through these quote unquote unprecedented times, but more importantly into the future and where we go from here. So Scott, you're the man. Thank you so much for being a guest. Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Absolutely, Matt. Excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. I always appreciate when somebody's struggling just as hard to figure out what the day of the week is as I am. So thank you uh, for joining me in good company on that. <laughs> I am right there with you. Yes, it's been a, been a week already. It's That's right. Where, uh, where in the world are you recording from? Uh, I am in Fort Mill, South Carolina, which is about 15 or so miles across the border from Charlotte, North Carolina. I like it. I like it. Is that a uh, n- regular destination or just traveling through? This is uh, my home base. I've been in the Carolinas for a, almost 20 years now between North and South Carolina. And I hope you won't hold this against me, but born and raised in Ohio. I know you're a Michigan guy, so we'll, to, we'll try and set that aside for a bit. So the only question I have is, do you particularly root for somebody in Ohio? Or is it just you happen to unfortunately be born there? Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, born, yes, in Ohio and big, big Buckeyes fan. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, uh, let's just wrap the show up. Yeah, it was great and, talking uh, to you. <laughs> yeah, nice chatting and uh, good luck. Never. Um, no, all good. All good. Um, so give me, uh, give, me, give, me, give me the life background. I'd love to hear uh, hear the story. Unfortunately, we, we got past it. I think fortunately we got past the tough part. Now let's yes. move forward from there. <laughs> sure. So as I mentioned, born and, and raised in, in Ohio, Northeastern Ohio, what I would consider kind of squarely in the buckle of the Rust Belt. So the area I grew up in, a small town called Warren, kind of in between Youngstown and Cleveland, that was very heavy into the steel industry, the auto industry, was a thriving community at one point. And unfortunately, as things happen, you know, steel industry you know, is impacted, moves on, auto industry moves in and out, it creates a big impact to, to the town, to the jobs to people moving in and out in the overall economy. So as I was growing up, you know, we started to see a lot of that economic downturn there. So it was a very interesting place to grow up. And you know, when I go back and bring the family up there, we just drive drive the kids around and just show them you know, the difference between where we live now, where where mom and I grew up. And so it was an interesting dynamic, but growing up in that environment where the town is going through a lot of economic strife and struggling to attract jobs, very much a blue collar town. 
you know, for me, I wouldn't change that for the world. There's just so much of who I am today came out of growing up in that type of town where you just determine or build a certain level of toughness and grit and perseverance, you know, going through a lot of that and just seeing the struggles that so many people have. And, you know, growing up there from my parents' perspective for both me and my brother, education was always front and center for them. Neither one of them went to college, but they knew for their kids that was really important. It wasn't a matter of if we go to college, it was when we go to college. You know, they wanted that for us because they knew that ultimately if we wanted to move out of the area, you know, it's not impossible to do it without education, but from their perspective, it makes it a lot easier to be able to, to get up and move and have a lot of different opportunities. And for me, that that always stuck with me, the importance and value of education and ultimately led me to my first career as a, a high school teacher. I went to school for education at Kent State University, got my teaching degree. And as I mentioned, the town was really shrinking when I came out of college and you know, school districts were laying teachers off every year. So I find myself coming out of school with this degree, wanting to get in and teach. And I, I remember, and this will date me a little bit, but literally sending out over a hundred cover letters and resumes in the mail, you know, folding them up, putting them in the envelopes, addressing them to superintendents and principals, stamping them, bring them to the post office and not getting any responses. And teaching <laughs> so, my- so I, I, real quick on that. Um, so I, you might not know this, but I, the business that I, my day job, I own yes. a uh, video interviewing platform. And so we work with, uh, this is not necessarily supposed to make you feel better, but we work with a bunch, I mean, obviously a bunch of companies hiring and it's like a 40% ghosting rate right now, meaning yeah. that it's like 40% of candidates uh, don't show up. It's like, it's even more absurd for companies that don't respond back. So although the effort is a lot different when you actually had to physically go mail something uh, to the instant apply on Indeed today, yeah. um, uh, just as many companies aren't responding. So not that that's the most uplifting piece, but I can understand the context for sure. Yes, definitely makes me feel a, a little bit better about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, don't take that as encouragement. So, <laughs> But so I ended up teaching my first year out of college at an alternative school. So this was where all the kids who had been kicked out of the traditional schools for a number of reasons, they were you know, awaiting trial, coming out of juvenile uh, detention, transitioning back into regular school, lots of kids with ankle bracelets. So I, I spent my first year doing that because that was the job I was able to get in the area and realized, one, I can't do this for 30 years. But then two, I realized what a great learning experience it was. I think I learned more in that first year around teaching and motivation and classroom management than I did in the rest of my teaching career combined. But as I was going through this, my, my wife, who was girlfriend or fiance at the time, we've been together since uh, we were kids. You know, she said, Hey, you know, I, I met with Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and they said, if we come to their job fair down in North Carolina, they can almost guarantee us a job on the spot. And I, once again, going through that experience, I just went through with sending out all the resumes and cover letters and not getting anything. I was quite skeptical, but you know, we made the trip, the trek down, went to a job fair. And I remember she was an elementary school teacher. I was high school. We split up at the fair at the beginning of the day, did not see each other until almost like late in the afternoon. And we both had signed contracts in hand with signing bonuses because they, the economy and the city was growing so rapidly. They just needed lots of teachers. And we wound up in schools 
literally five minutes away from each other, which in a big city, you, we could have been an hour apart. That so we is, had that. Uh, and then you, I what, a, what a remarkable phone. transition. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And I remember making the phone call home and saying, hey, we got jobs. We're moving to Charlotte. And I will tell you, our families were not expecting that. They're like, okay, they're going to go down there on a whim and you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that's like a long-term staycation. You'll be back yes. in three months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah, 20, gosh, what, almost 20 years ago, that was when we, when we came down here, been absolutely loving the Carolinas and all of our family really has since moved down here uh, within, you know, 45 minute radius of where we are. So we were the anchors, had lots of folks come down to visit and ultimately decided to move down here. So it's been an interesting ride. I love it. Um, one of the things I wanted to double click on uh, was your comment around the, the kind of blue collar upbringing and made it who you are today. So I want to give the caveat. I came from a n- nice, very nice uh, uh, public schools, very nice you know neighborhood, parents, upper, you know, upper middle class backgrounds themselves. So like I, not that I... I did own, um, I had a landscaping and lawn care company throughout high school and early parts of college. And through that, spent a lot of time with just mowing with crews and running in with guys who are definitely part of kind of the more rough and tough blue collar and a lot of construction jobs and stuff like that. And there's nothing like rolling with just good people in that world. I mean, it's just like a different type of like good, humble, like hardworking that you can't even believe. And I don't know, there's something about both the work that you do there that's just like freeing and peaceful but secondly just some some remark some of the best people that I've ever met are the what would outside you know from the outside perspective blue jeans you know mud stains or oil stains or whatever it is but just just it, it, it's a background that I'm so very thankful that I got to experience again in my very sheltered privileged exposure to it but it's, it's just a lot of good people you know in that so I absolutely agree so um you transitioned. Obviously, you've been in uh, been in Carolinas for some time. Got the you know first teaching gig. Obviously, stuck around that for a bit. Walk me through, um, kind of walk me through what happened next. Sure. So I, I was teaching teaching in the Carolinas, and probably four four or five years I spent doing that. And at some point, I realized that teaching was starting to become secondary. And what I mean by that, there was just so much paperwork to be done, so many meetings for the sake of meetings. You know, in in big schools and big district districts, you feel or you deal with a lot of disciplinary problems and fights and things like that. So I found myself being pulled out of the classroom so much to deal with non-teaching things. And that really was my passion, you know, helping people make that connection between their education and outcomes. And so as Teaching started to become secondary. I was finding myself not being quite as engaged with it. So I was looking for other opportunities where I could leverage some of the transferable skills that I had, but still be in that space of education. And one of the themes that I picked up on while I was teaching was that when I could see that parents were excited about education or involved with the education or involved with their kids' education, there was definitely a big uptick in the kids and their excitement, their involvement in education. And that's what ultimately led me to leave classroom teaching and move more so into the adult education, corporate education space, where I spent the lion's share of my career really working on programs that were designed for adults that are 
working, have families, have busy schedules, but still trying to fit education into their lives to help better their career, better their their place in life, better their family uh, situation, all those things. And I was able to find that and work a lot with corporations that were trying to figure out how do we take these employees that we have, we need to upskill them, we want to invest in them, we want them to stay with us. You know, how do they use their tuition assistance programs or how do they invest in continuing education or training for their employees to retain and then also to attract top talent. So I really staying true to those roots of this idea of education being important, this education opening up opportunities. And over time, that really has evolved, I will say, for education, using that term very broadly, especially now with so much of the skills-based economy where you don't necessarily need that four-year degree if you have a certificate or you are really good at a particular skill that's in demand, you can find those opportunities. But so I, I spent a decade there and you know, for me hitting that 10 year mark was a pretty big milestone to be at the same place for a decade. And we had lots of twists and turns along the way and was very fortunate to grow uh, you know, from an individual contributor up to you know, a, a senior sales leader when I left. And is your real quick, real quick, and kind of the the, the tenure uh, tenure there. I mean, was it like was it pretty consistent, like training, leadership development, education, coaching, consulting? I mean, how do those things and and that might be an answer for kind of even even now to today where you're at. But like, how do how would you have defined yourself when you first kind of started down this path mm-hmm. versus maybe the first decade in it? How did you? Kind of enter in, and then were you a coach, a consultant, an educator? What 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 do you think moved or changed or adjusted or maintained the same? So I think the I would say the thing that maintained the same was the focus on our partners and understanding how can they leverage the educational options available to invest in their employees. That was kind of the the, the red thread all the way across that that entire span, whether it was when I started off as an individual contributor, going out and meeting with human resources and learning leaders to understand what they're doing, what are some of the skills gaps they're facing, what are they seeing with employee engagement and retention, then you know, what solutions did we have for them, all the way towards you know, the end at that you know, senior sales leader level, focusing Similarly with you know, the education programs, but at, by that point, you know, we had diversified the approach a little bit with more professional development offerings, true what I would call corporate training types of solutions. But once again, really focus on how do you upskill the employees and how do you invest in them to both attract and retain them? Would working in an you know, entity like that, or at least just the industry like that, is a lot of the, is a lot of the work... Um, sort of project by project, meaning somebody comes to you and they say, I have this initiative and we want help rolling out? Or would it more be like, look, we're <laughs> screwed. We can't find talent. We need help. Come alongside. And, you know, it, it, how, how does sort of like, and again, not asking dollar amounts or anything mm-hmm. like that, but more just like engagements with that. Typically, what what would be like the type of person to come to you and how, how would that kind of operate? Yeah, there was a number of different approaches and it varied a little bit by industry as well. So for example, in the healthcare space, there was a big push for hospitals to get magnet status, which was you know very prestigious things for the large hospital systems. 
And a big part of that was to have a certain percentage of their nurses have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree. So that's where we would work with them to develop cohorts where they would send groups of their nurses together in a closed group. It's just nurses from this organization to move on from their associate's degree in nursing into their bachelor's degree. Other organizations, as we're meeting with them and doing discovery, we would find out that they were turning over a lot of their managers in the, what I would say, kind of the plant factory setting very quickly. And they identified that, you know, every manager we lose within the first 90 days costs us X thousands of dollars because of lost productivity, replacing them, recruiting costs, all that stuff. So what they identified was that they were lacking training for a lot of these managers. Oftentimes, and I'm sure you hear this from, from some of your clients, is that you know, somebody that produces well or performs well as an individual contributor, they get promoted into management where they may not be the best person to be a people leader. So they're trying to build programs to help close that gap of turnover within their management ranks. So yeah, really, it was kind of an interesting job where each project was a little bit different that we worked on. Um, and this is me, uh, I hate to even say that this pains me to say out loud, but now that I've entered in the HR tech world, I've kind of become a geek about it. Yeah. Um, what would be the, the, I mean, would you go everything from like tweaking job descriptions all the way to like, you know, major corporate strategy hires? I mean, what would be the, the probably most in the weeds of, uh, of some of that all the way to the, uh, I guess more broad sort of projects you would help with? The majority of what we did, I would say, was more just on the, the broader developing a training program for yeah. specific employees to develop gaps. We did dip into a couple of projects where we got into the nuances of developing competency models and aligning curriculum and content back to those very specific models. I would say those ones were the exception rather than the norms. Yeah, makes sense. How much, <laughs> uh, and I don't mean this to be a negative question, I just see some of the other side of it, how much you'd put together a great plan and then you would get employee pushback or hesitation. Yeah. So there was definitely some of that. And what we found was when there was true buy-in from the, the senior leadership within the organization. So if we had an executive sponsor and they were able to really clearly articulate the why, here's why we're doing this versus, hey, show up for this training on this day. This company is going to be here to help you guys become better leaders. Big difference when you have the buy-in from the top level and there is that why. Here's why we're doing this. Here's how this is going to help you progress through your career. I like it. I like it. Um, so as you've continued down this path, what would you say is the project, lesson, problem, solution that you'd aim for that you feel like is just your bread and butter that you you love the most? And what would be the, what would be the, ooh, I don't necessarily know what I'm doing here, but that would be something that I have enough pieces to put together to have a really, really fun experience or really, really fun, you know, time working on. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say for the one that, you know, especially now that, you know, with the, the organiza organization with now at Communispond, that we really enjoy is when we're able to plug into or become part of an existing program or development plan at one of our clients. So that maybe they have an 18 month or two year program that employees are going through you know, as part of an accelerated career journey, or this is their 
they're high potential programs. So when we're able to really plug in and create a tailored or, or customized solution that fits into the specific needs of a broader program, that's where it gets really fun for a number of reasons. One, where we're able to, as I mentioned, really tailor something that's designed for the very specific skills that their employees need. And when you get involved in these high potential leadership development types of programs, like I was discussing a couple of minutes ago, that's usually where you have the executive support, the executive buy-in, and people are excited to be part of it. It's not necessarily where they were forced to be in to be there. They've raised their hand or they've had the conversation with their leader and they were selected for this program. So there is that, that level of excitement where people really get engaged in the programs and in the training that we do. And when you have that, that's where really the magic happens. You start to see behaviors change. And then those behaviors change, it leads to results in the workplace, which leads to promotions and engagement. They're enjoying their job. They're getting up excited every day, which is for me, you know, why I do this is I've always found that connection between education and training to career outcomes and really being excited about what you do. I love it. And I, uh, I, I, in, in a, in a small different sense resonate with the fact of just like the pairing in some capacity of getting people to find a job or work that they do and love that. And if mm -hmm. you can have play a part in that, whatever that looks like, that's a pretty special thing. So I, I, I obviously different world, but I, I, I can, I can resonate with that um, for sure. One of the other things too, and this is just kind of giving the context of the world that we live in. How has that strategy conversation uh, just challenges evolved given the labor markets and the talent markets for your world? I mean, there's been season where there was no jobs and tons and tons of candidates. And now we're in a season of there's nobody can find people. And, and, and there are tons of reasons why that's true. Mm -hmm. It's not just that they're not out there, but just things are changing. Has that impacted you guys at all? I wouldn't say a direct impact with, you know, the job force and the talent market being tight. What I would say is I think a lot of organizations are either just now realizing or they're doubling down on their efforts to invest in their employees because they're realizing with a tight talent market, you really don't want to lose people because it's going to be challenging to replace them and likely more expensive to replace them. Uh, you know, if you're, you're losing a tenured employee and then now in a tight market where you know, people have their choice sometimes of two, three, four, five offers coming in. So I think organizations really are either starting to see or just really intensifying that focus on, okay, how do we invest in our employees in a number of ways? One of those being training and development and, and providing opportunities for career progression, things like that. So I would say that's probably the indirect thing that we've been seeing as organizations really amplifying their, their investment in training. Yeah. No, I, and that hearing you say that out loud, that makes sense. In fact, this actually may be a good spur on for your business and the fact of culturally, sometimes it was probably a, a, a sell of, okay, yes, we want to invest in people, but that's more of a nice soundbite. Now it's like, mm -hmm. no, no, we, we, we have to, whatever that we, we, for sure. So no, I, I dig it. That makes sense. Um, so what would you say is the, the you know, up next for you as far as um, challenges you're probably, you know, trying to solve uh, different, you know, 
what, what, what's the thing that's getting you the most fired up right now? So what I would say is, you know, over the, you know, the past couple of years with just the almost immediate shift from working in the office to working at home as a business, Communispond had to adapt very quickly because prior to COVID, the vast majority of our business was done in person, on-site training. We're sending instructors out. We're spending a couple of days with the folks, putting them through the training, bringing that behavioral change about. And that changed very quickly. And we were you know, fortunate that we had some of our programs that had already been adapted for the virtual world. So they were live virtual instructor-led programs. So we had them through Zoom and different platforms where we could engage and bring these communication skills programs to life for folks, but our entire portfolio wasn't ready. So one of the things that I will say I'm most proud of over the past couple of years is the team's ability to adapt and bring these programs over to be able to offer them in person or virtually. And for me, as I think just about the next several years, when broadly, when it comes to training is this idea of the blended workplace, where we're going to have some people at the office, some people at home, they're moving back and forth. I might be Monday, Wednesday, Friday here, Tuesday, Thursday, I'm at home. So for us, just trying to figure out working with clients in a blended environment. And I just think in general, the, you know, the technology, the learning technology that's out there and the HR tech that's out there is advancing. So starting to explore, you know, what do some of those tools look like to help augment what we do to make it even better? I like it. I mean, I, I can only imagine the different directions your brain goes every day of, I mean, broad stroke problems that you can, you can solve uh, and then work on all the way down to like micro, micro training programs or micro, you know, micro um, initiatives that you can help organizations with. It's gotta be, you gotta have a lot of fun with this. It, it is. And it's, it's nice that I have a, a great team in place that enables me to, to do both, to think, you know, at that macro level, but then also to be involved in the day-to-day of things and just, you know, working with the sales reps on, on specific deals or challenges, because you know, as you're doing that on a consistent basis, you pick up on themes. You know, if I was just sitting in my ivory tower, you know, trying to just focus on broad strategy and not really listening or being involved as to what's going on in the day-to-day, I would likely miss out on some of those things or not hear them or not see them from clients or see them in some of our deliveries. So it is fun to be able to focus on the micro and the macro. It's just, you know, finding the right balance of, you know, where to invest your time, where to invest your energy. And then after that, where do we invest the resources to make changes? Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, my favorite, favorite question on the planet is uh, what gets people out of bed in the morning? And the other thing to the other question I'll kind of add, add to this is what would be a, if you got to choose, the legacy that people remembered you by, what would you want that to be? It's a two-part question. Sure. So the thing that gets me up in the morning is, I'll say it's twofold. The first thing, primarily day in and day out, it's it's my family, you know, my wife and my kids. Uh, they're my motivation for you know doing what I do. And you know, I, I talk with you know a lot of friends and colleagues on you know, some of those times when you just have bad days, rough days, you've been traveling back back to back to back, going across time zones, you're exhausted. There's, you know, you're trying to put out fires, things like that. And just remember, it's like, you know, why are we doing this? You know, what's, what's behind it? And it's, it's for me to be able to provide for my family and, you know, give them a 
great life, whatever that may mean, and to model strong behaviors and strong work ethic for my kids, just as my parents did for me. So that's, I would say the one thing that really does is really focusing on them. But beyond that is that passion for helping people. You know, I just, from my nature, going back to being a a classroom teacher and then spending career in education, training types of roles, but then also in people leadership roles. You know, I, I knew that when I first started working in what I would call kind of a quote corporate job outside of when I was a classroom teacher, when I moved beyond that, I was very eager to get into a people leadership role because that's where my true heart lies is helping people improve, helping them be the best version of themselves that they can be. And just identifying that for everybody, what they need for me is a little bit different. You know, if I were to take a vanilla approach and just use the same style with everyone on my team or my organization, it wouldn't work. So it is, it's just that motivation for me of just helping people, helping them be successful, hit whatever goals that they have for themselves uh, to continue to improve. And, you know, if I think about legacy is I think around that, this idea that I'm somebody that really would put other folks ahead of myself and use all of the strength and tools and resources that I have at my disposal to help them be successful. And once again, success means something different to every single person you ask. For me, my job is to understand what that is for each individual and then learn how I can help them get there. And then ultimately that's my success when I can see that happen. I love it. I love it. Well, from my perspective, this has been a successful podcast uh, to play on words from that. But for people that want to uh, follow along, Scott, with uh, the business, what you got going on, reach out to you. You've got a podcast as well. What's the best way for them to uh, get in touch, reach out, communicate, follow along, everything? Sure. I would say the best way is to find me on LinkedIn, Scott D'Amico. You can connect with me there, send a message. The company Communispond is on LinkedIn as well. And then we also have Communicast, which I started about four or five months ago. It's a communication skills focused podcast where I have different business leaders on each episode to really talk about what it means to be a great communicator and to share actionable tips for the listeners that are looking to improve their own communication skills. So number of ways they can follow, get connected, reach out. I'm more than happy to have a conversation. Love it. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you for having me. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at thematbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.